when it comes to Father's Days and songs like that. It, it has different impacts for many of us uh, in different ways as we sit today and uh, as we gather today. And, and for some of us, uh, that song in today is very beautiful. It's very meaningful because uh, we live out that song. Uh, we remember those times that our Father uh, displayed His love for us uh, through giving us a pat on the back and telling us that He was proud of us. We, for some of us, we remember um, our, our Father, how gentle His hands could be when uh, we were crying or we were upset or we were scared. And we remember those times that, that we just felt safe and secure in Daddy's hands and Daddy's arms. And for some of us, uh, we also remember those times that Daddy's hands were were not so gentle. They really did feel like they were made out of steel uh, when we had done wrong and we needed correction. But even in those times when it didn't feel like it in those moments, uh, we know now that those hands were still filled with love. And, and I realize that's not the, the picture of everybody. That's not how everybody reacts to that song. I realize that some of you sitting here this morning, that song may be very painful for you, may be difficult for you, because that is the exact opposite of what you grew up picturing an earthly father to be or the experience that you had. For some of you, uh, you, you, you don't have memories of a loving father's hands that were there to pat you on the back or, or pop your behind, whichever one you needed. You didn't have a, a loving father hands to, to be gentle or to be hard as steel. And for some of you, I understand that, that your father was absent and, and uh, not around. And so you have very few memories, if any memories, of him much less any love that he showed for you. Um, and kind of as Josh pointed out to us already this morning, for some of us, uh, we, we're encouraged by that song. For some of us, we honestly need to be challenged by that song, by the song that Josh led us in just a little bit ago, because for some of us, we are dads in this room. We are fathers, and, and we honestly can be challenged by that song because this is how we want our children to remember us. We want them to have memories of us as being strong and yet compassionate. We want our children uh, to remember us as, as holding them when they need it, but also correcting it when they needed that as well. And so we want our, our children to remember our hands being full of love and full of compassion, but also full of discipline when that needed to be the case and, and being hard as steel when that was the case. But for all of us sitting in this room, regardless of what our earthly fathers look like or, or, or did for us or against us, uh, the reason I picked that song is because it really is a beautiful picture of what our Heavenly Father does for us. That the, the, We've been working through the book of Hebrews, uh, and many of you have been with us kind of through this book that we've been working through, and uh, there are times that through the book of Hebrews that He gives us the, the gentle, compassionate side of our loving Father. There's passages that talk about Him pointing to the Son uh, for, through the prophets. There's times when He talks about the Father uh, offering compassion and forgiveness to us for forgiving our sins when we didn't deserve it. And then we get to Hebrews chapter 12 today. In Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 5 and read through verse 13. And this is where we get to the the hardest steel part of the, the hands of God. This is where we get with the, the, the uh, we've, we've read the compassion, we know how gentle and, and graceful He has been to us. And then this is where we get to the part where maybe there's parts of our life that need correction. Maybe there's parts of our life that need uh, discipline. And so we get to this part where the Father's hands uh, show us love, but they don't do it in a loving or in a gentle, soft kind of way. Instead, we find that His hands can be hard and they can be correcting when they need to be and when it is good for us. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to read with me. Uh, starting in Hebrews chapter 12, we'll start in verse 5, like I said. And we'll read down through verse 13. But Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 starts off and it says, And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly, or faint when you, have, or you are reproved by Him. 
For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and punishes every son He receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that the Father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we have had natural, or we had natural fathers discipline us, and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them. But He does it for our benefit so that we can share His holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the fruit of peace and righteousness to those who are trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your tired hands and weakened knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but healed instead. Let's pray together. Father, what a privilege it is this morning and and throughout every day that we get to call you Father. God, what a joy and a privilege it is that we get to claim the title of being a child of the great King of the universe. God, that we get to call ourselves and claim the title as sons and daughters of the one true King. God, for many of us sitting here this morning, we have struggled with this idea of a Father's Day. We have struggled with, uh, God, just a picture of what a dad was supposed to be. But God, this morning, we claim a different title. God, this morning, we really do claim that you are our Father. God, that you are the loving, compassionate Father that is there to pick us up when we need it. But God, you are also the loving, compassionate Father. God, that deals with us and convicts us when we need that as well. And so, God, we come to you this morning so thankful for the privilege to call you Father. God, to be called a son and a daughter of the one true God, the God of all the universe. God, thank you so much that you forgave our sins, that you love us enough to set us free from those. God, that you love us enough to deal with us when we are not doing what is best for us. God, when we were set on a path for destruction, God, you loved us enough to correct that path. And God, we thank you for this amazing privilege we have. God, to be called your children this morning, Father. And so, God, I pray that you speak to us through your text this morning. I pray, God, that you speak to to our hearts and to our lives, God, that wherever we need your discipline, wherever we need your correction, and God, even if we need your punishment, God, that you do that to us this morning. Because as we see in your text, God, it is for our good and for your glory, Father. And so, God, we rejoice at the privilege of being called your children. God, let us also rejoice in the love that you lavish on us. And the correction that you give us, Father, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. There were times when, when I was a kid that me and my brother, there were multiple times that me and my brother deserved discipline, that we deserved punishment. One of us probably more than the other, um, or maybe just one of us was a little more sneaky than the other, and we didn't get caught um, quite as often. But there were times that, uh, that, that we deserved punishment, and there were times that, that we got our backside pap, uh, popped with hands and, and fly swatters. And this was back in the days when you could beat your kid with pretty much anything, and it wasn't called child abuse. And uh, I remember... 
just for you young kids to let you know, um, they don't even make these anymore. But when I was growing up, the, the blinds that you had in your windows, they had these little twisty things that you turned and you, that's how you rotate them. Let me tell you, those little jokers hurt. All right? I'm just going to tell you from experience. All right? Those things came at me from grandmothers and moms and even uh, dad never used that. He, his, his weapon of choice was always the belt. Uh, but there were times that, that we responded correctly to discipline and there were times that we didn't respond correctly to discipline. And I remember one time, I don't, I don't honestly remember what we did at this particular time to deserve getting in trouble, but I'm, I'm sure it was well deserved. I'm sure we, we did something that we weren't supposed to. But I remember um, sitting there in kind of our, our kitchen and I remember uh, my mom giving us this real stern talking to. Right? Now my mom was 5'2 and she was a firecracker, like she had a, but she had a long fuse. So it took a while for that fuse to get there, but once it was lit, you better watch out, all right? So this is one of those times that, that uh, she was just sitting us down, and she was talking to us, and, and she was being very stern with us. And, and we knew that we had messed up. We knew that what we did wasn't right. And, but there was something that she said, and I don't remember what it was, that, that kind of took us back to whatever we were doing that we weren't supposed to be doing. And for some reason, my brother and I just got tickled by it, and we both just busted out laughing, all right? So in the middle of this serious moment, in the middle of this stern lecture that our mom was correcting us and, and getting on us, we just busted out laughing. And then mom threw the trump card on it. Mom's exact comment. Like I said, I don't remember what we did to deserve this. I'm sure we deserved it. But I remember her words to us. And she just, she just stopped dead in her sentence and said, I don't think you'll be laughing when your daddy gets home and I tell him what you did. And I remember that moment worse than any other moment in my childhood. almost like, I remember whatever we were laughing at was not funny anymore. Because as much as we didn't want mom to spank us and discipline, we sure didn't want daddy to spank us and discipline us. We, we sure didn't want daddy to, to come home because, listen, daddy wasn't going to let anybody laugh at his wife, especially his children who he was going to raise and make sure that he had the authority over. And so we knew that when daddy got home, it was done. And, and so I remember us going, like we were trying to figure out, like, all right, how can we get out of this house before dad gets here? Like, how can we, how can we survive what is coming to us? And I don't remember how long it took for dad to get home, but I'm pretty sure I aged like six years in that 15 minutes of dad getting there or whatever it was. And, and so the, the lesson I learned that day was, was probably not the one I, wasn't supposed, I was supposed to learn. Whatever I was supposed to learn was whatever I did, don't do that again. But the lesson I learned that day in that moment was there is a right way to respond to discipline and there is a wrong way to respond to discipline. And when mama is giving you a talking to and mama is, is telling you what to do and not to do, laughing at her is the wrong way to respond to mama's discipline. You, you don't respond to mama's discipline by laughing at her. And, and so we learn this very valuable lesson uh, that you don't laugh when you're supposed to be disciplined. You don't laugh when you're supposed to be being corrected. And so I tell you that story because the writer of Hebrews makes it clear that, that in this passage we're talking about, the same is true when we're disciplined by our Heavenly Father. There's a, there's a right way to respond to His discipline. There's also a wrong way to respond to His discipline. There, there's a constructive way, and there's a destructive way to respond to His, to his discipline. And so we're going to start talking about the, the destructive way, the wrong way to respond. But before we jump into that, I want to kind of remind you uh, that the book of Hebrews is written to a group of Christians, and it's written to this group of Christians that at one time were Jews. So they've come to the Christian faith through a different religious system and uh, and they, they found out that life was not peaches and roses when they became a Christian. They found out that life actually became harder for them when they became a Christian. 
And so they're facing this very difficult situation. Many of them are, have been kind of ostracized by their community. Many of them have faced persecution. They've lost houses. They've lost businesses. Their families have shunned them. And so even within their own family, they're being persecuted. and They're being uh, pressured to give up this Christian faith. And we've talked about this several times, that they're facing this idea, is this Christian faith really worth it? Is, is this living this Christian lifestyle, is it really worth all of this trouble? Wouldn't it be easier if I just went back, or even if I just went back kind of in practice without belief, if I just tried to blend in a little bit with the Jewish community instead of kind of being out in, in, in this Christian world, if I just kind of blended in with them. And so the writer of Hebrews spends a good portion of his letter kind of telling you why that's not a good idea. He, he spends a good portion of this uh, warning them about this idea, hey, don't go back, don't, don't give in to this, that, that what you have in a relationship with Christ is far better and superior to the religious system that, that honestly didn't offer what you're looking for. It didn't offer this relationship back with your with your creator with God and so he encourages them instead of going back he encourages them we went over this passage a couple weeks ago run this race stay on course uh, don't um, don't turn your back because if you do there's going to be consequences for that you're going to face the discipline of your heavenly father and so he tells them this because sometimes some of them are, are to the point where they're not just thinking about this they're actually contemplating they're actually kind of falling through with it and he said listen if you think you can live like a Jew and, and believe like a Christian, but live like a Jew, there's a problem with that. And you need to understand that God's not going to let that continue. You're not going to do life as usual and think it's going to continue on. And it's not just true of being a Jewish for them. It could be true for all of us. If you think you can claim the name of Christ, but live like you never accepted Christ, there's a problem with that. You should expect your Heavenly Father to be upset with you. You should expect your Heavenly Father to want to correct you, to discipline you, to train you differently. And so he's telling them that if you do this, if you turn your back, if you go back to this, this religious system and you try to blend in rather than trying to stand out for God, then you need to understand that, that God is going to get your attention one way or another. And, and it's easier if you get your attention to get your attention the easy way instead of the hard way. But for some of us, we only learn lessons the hard way. Right? And I don't know if that's true of all of you, but for some of us, myself included, we learn lessons the hard way. And so this is where this community is at. They are stuck in this hard situation, and they're kind of questioning, God, what am I supposed to be learning through this? Is this even worth it? And life is not easy for them. And so in verse 5, he uses this example of the Old Testament. He reminds them of the wrong way to respond to God's discipline, to God's training. And in verse 5, he writes this. He says, you and, and have you forgotten the exhortation that is addressed to you as sons? He said, listen, you guys grew up with this. You've always claimed to be sons and daughters. You've always claimed to be children of God, but you've forgotten what the Old Testament says. So let me remind you, I'm not bringing anything new to the table here. I'm just simply telling you this is how God says He's going to deal with you. And so He quotes uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13. He goes on in verse 5, and He says, This is what you've forgotten. He says, My sons, don't take the Lord's discipline lightly or faint. When he has reproved, or you are reproved by him. And so in this verse, the writer gives us these two wrong ways to respond to the Lord's discipline. And they're kind of these opposite ends of the spectrum. And one of them is here, and the other is the extreme over here. There's two wrong ways that people are responding to when hardships come in their life. When God not only allows hardships and brings hardships in their life for the sake of discipline. And the very first one, he says this one simple word, don't take the Lord's discipline 
lightly. And he uses this word lightly. It means to give little care to or little consideration of. It means that you, you really disregard it as no big deal and you're quick to overlook it. And sometimes this happens because we come, we come to a place where we're complacent about the sin in our life, that we have certain sins in our lives that we just keep coming back to and we just keep repeating them over and over and over again. And, and we've honestly come to the point where we try to, we try to justify them. And, and we'll use phrases and we'll use sayings like, well, I mean, nobody's perfect, right? Or we'll use phrases like, yeah, I know this isn't right, but it's sure not as bad as what I could be doing. Or it's sure not as bad as what so-and-so down the road is doing. Or, or we use phrases like, well, if you knew the situation, you would understand this a little different. Or if you knew this in, in an ideal world, I wouldn't have to make this choice. Or, or I know this wasn't the right thing to do, but I just had to, to make the situation easier. And so we'll use these phrases, and I want you to hear what we're doing when we use those phrases. What we're doing is we're giving ourselves a license to go against what God has said. We're giving ourselves a license to stop pursuing holiness and pursue our own agenda instead. We're giving ourselves this excuse to stop striving for what God has told us to do and instead go against, go against it and do what we want to do. And so we develop this kind of flippant, nonchalant attitude towards sin that really is no big deal. And when we come to that place, we've reached the point where we've taken God's discipline lightly, that it really is no big deal. And when we answer the conviction of the Holy Spirit with phrases like, well, well, nobody's perfect, well, in this case it was okay, or, and when we reach this point where we try to justify our sins, then we honestly have reached a point where we are taking the Lord's discipline lightly. We're doing exactly what we're told not to do. And ultimately what it means when we take this word lightly, when we take the Lord's discipline lightly, it means that we don't worry about it. That we really don't think God means what He says. That we really don't think that He has a standard of judgment. We really don't think He has a standard of right and wrong. And it means that we're going to do what we want to do regardless of what He says about it or what He thinks about it. And honestly, we don't worry about the consequences of those actions. You see, any time that we justify our sins... That, that we're living in. And anytime we justify what we're doing when we know it's wrong, it means that we've dealt with, we don't believe there's consequences for our actions. Let me give you a, a quick example of somebody who's dealing lightly uh, with, with God's discipline. There are folks that, that call here sometimes and they, they need assistance with their bills and they need assistance financially, their power bill or their rent bill or, and all kinds of different things. And, and so we, we help some folks out and, and we ask lots of questions because we want to make sure that we actually are helping them instead of just uh, putting a Band-Aid on a, a bleeding wound. And so we, we try to help them out as much as we can in a productive way. And, and we start asking questions of, you know, kind of what's your long-term goal and, and how are we going to fix this? How are we going to get over this, not just this little bump in the road, but down the road, how is this going to help you kind of long term? And, and, and so what we kind of find sometimes is, is when we feel these causes, there are some folks that we do help, and we just get them over the hump, and they're good to go. And then there's other folks that then they call back the next month, and they call back the next month, and they call back the next month. And, and then we start to kind of question, hey, let's kind of sit down for a moment and look at your financial situation. Let, let's maybe sit down and, and kind of talk about a budget and a budget process. And there's some folks that are receptive to that, and there are others that are like, no, I don't need to sit down. I don't need to talk about a budget. This is where I'm at. And either you're going to help me or you're not. You see, I want you to understand that budgeting is a financial principle that God has put in place. All right? that we, you can go through the book of Proverbs. You can go through lots of different uh, passages of Scripture. That if you are living your life without that process, then don't be surprised at the end of the month when the process doesn't work. 
when there are more bills than there are money in the bank. Right? And so what he's telling you is you can't live like you want to live with the, the outgoing of your finances without the income that you're expected to have. You can't live your life and spend your money the way you want to without going through God's principles and expect there not to be consequences. You see, people who despise or take lightly God's discipline, they, don't har- they hardly ever connect their actions and their consequences to the sin that is in their life. There are people who come to the, the there's times when, when people come to this part in their life and they're like, man, how in the world did I, did I get to this? How did life get so bad and so difficult? And the reality is they, they took God's discipline lightly their whole life. The, the, he gave them instructions. He gave them guidance. And he sent the Holy Spirit to convict them when they were doing things they shouldn't have been doing. And yet they turn their back and like, oh, it's really not a big deal. It's not a big deal. And all of a sudden they find themselves in this very hard, difficult situation. And they never connect it back to the sin that started. They never connect it with the fact that they rebelled against God. They rejected his guidance. They rejected his attention. They rejected all the instructions that he was giving them all along. You see, some of us sitting in this room and some of us watching online, let me give you a hard truth. Your life is the way it is, and it works out the way it works out, partly because you're despising God's instructions, because you're taking His discipline and His training lightly. Part of your life is the way that it is, honestly, and I'm not saying this is true for everybody. I'm not saying it's true for every circumstances, but there are some of us maybe sitting in this room, some of us watching online, that we honestly need to look at our life and say, God, Where in my life am I missing your instruction? Where am I missing your discipline? Where am I not following through with the instructions and the direction and the guidance that you gave me to to lead me to this point? Because we're at this point because we've rejected his discipline. We took it lightly. We didn't listen to the instructions that he gave us. And so for some of us, and I'm not, again, I'm not saying it's true for everybody. I'm not saying that you're in your situation individually because of a sin in your life. But, but for some of us, we honestly need to come to a time of confession and this just honest response. And honestly, kind of this questioning of, is my life, is this situation like it is? Because I didn't listen to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Because I didn't listen to the Lord's discipline. I didn't live by His standards. And had I been living by His standard, then I might not be here in this moment right now. And so some of us need to respond and quit dismissing the discipline of God. And live out His standard and live by His uh, judgment and His instructions. Rather than trying to live for ourselves. You see, when we don't do that, we don't connect our sins with the consequences. And we end up with this life and we're trying to figure out where it went off track and where it went wrong. It's because we took the Lord's discipline lightly. We didn't follow through with His instructions and with His guidance. And we disregarded His discipline and His correction, you see. But there's a different response. You see, some people respond to God's discipline by ignoring it and dismissing it. I know what it says, but I'm not really worried about it. But then there's this other extreme. You see, some folks dismiss it and underreact to God's discipline. And other folks will overreact. To God's discipline. You see, if you go back to verse 5, he tells us not to take the Lord's discipline lightly or to faint when you are reproved by him. And so some people will take the discipline lightly and underreact, other people overreact. And these folks respond to God's discipline by resisting it, they, they fight back against it. You see, this is the response of somebody who is who's honestly, they're angry at God. And their anger causes them to want to rebel even more against him. Let me show you a, a, an example. 
and you've seen this multiple times. You probably know some people that have lived out this example. They're folks that were, were great athletes. They, they were just given God-given talents and God-given abilities, and they were, they were, they were superstar athletes. And, and maybe not an athlete, but maybe somebody who is just, uh, man, they are, they are career-driven. They pursue their career, and, and they give everything to that career. Some of you know some folks like that. And maybe some of you are that, those folks. And, 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 man, life is good as long as the sport or the career is going good. And, and, and so they begin to give their life more and more to this either the sport or to the, the career or the job or, or whatever it is. And, and they really start to, to dive in deep to it. And they, um, they, they really give so much time and energy to it that this becomes their God. This becomes the most important thing of their life. This, this is who they are. This is how they draw their identity to it or who they are and their value, and this is their identity. And so for a long time, they ignore God's conviction, and they ignore the fact that, that they put Him lower on the list than they should. They put this as number one. They've ignored His attempts and His opportunities to return to Him, and instead, they gave themselves more and more over to either the sport or their career. And, and then we kind of seen this play out, that one day, either the sports career or the career falls apart. Maybe there's an injury or a, a bankruptcy or, or a fraud or something that happens in the middle of, of the great success. And what's the response of the person who's made an idol or a god out of that sport or that job or that career? God, how could you do this to me? God, I had it all together. God, how, how could you make this happen to me? God, how could you allow this in my life? And so instead of being corrected by the, the discipline that God has brought in their life, instead they get angry that God has disciplined them. And, and so they, they draw back and they, they develop these habits and they run as far away from God as they possibly can. They, they, um, they, instead of correcting their relationship with God, they go to the other extreme. They, they stop church altogether. They stop reading their Bible altogether. They stop praying altogether. And they start running away from God and deeper into sin. They develop these habits and these addictions because they want to rebel against God because they're so mad at this mean, evil God that would take stuff away from them. How dare Him do that? He has no right to tell me how to live my life. And so they faint. I mean, they fall away under the discipline of God. They, they don't live up to the training, they see it all as they are now the victim of this mean God who, who took everything away from them. And they faint. And they overreact in anger. And they overreact in rebellion. So the folks that had these wrong responses to discipline, it's because they fail to see what it really is. They fail to see it really is this declaration of God's love to us and God's love for us. And so the writer of Hebrews, he goes on, uh, not just in verse 5, but in verse 6, he continues quoting Proverbs. In verse 6, he, he quotes Proverbs chapter 3, verse 12, and he says, For the Lord disciplines the one that He loves, and He punishes every son He receives. And so before we kind of get to the idea of, of loving, let's, let's kind of look at it. I want to kind of take a little rabbit trail or side note. I want you to notice the two words that are there. He disciplines and he punishes. See, there's a distinction between those two. And in our English mindset, when we think of discipline, we automatically think of punishment. And that's not always the case. You see, punishment is only a small picture of what discipline actually is. Punishment is the correction after the fact, right? It is when somebody has done something and you punish them so they don't do that again. Discipline is much broader than that. Discipline covers not just the correction of an action, 
but the correction before the action happens. It includes the teaching and the instruction part of what you are doing as a parent, right? So discipline is not just punishment. Don't ever kind of confuse those two. When we read that, we always think of discipline of you got in trouble, you got disciplined, right? No, you got in trouble, you got punished. But throughout your whole life, you should have been disciplined. An athlete has to go through discipline. They have to be trained, right? They, they have to be taught certain techniques. When we had upward soccer out here, um, a, a few months ago, we had to train those elite athletes. And when I say elite athletes, they're like this big and you run around. But part of our job as a coach was to teach them, to train them, right? It wasn't because they were doing stuff bad, just simply because they weren't doing the game of soccer. And so we had to teach them, we had to train them, we had to condition them to do those things, to, to learn the rules. And so there's a difference between discipline and punishment. Punishment is just this small part of what discipline is. Discipline is this training, it's this teaching, it's this very broad picture. And one of the things we know about discipline is that it has to be consistent. You see, if for an athlete to be successful, they don't just train one day a week, right? There, there are some folks that love to be runners and, and run to love marathons and, and these long-distance runners. But I can tell you this, that if you're going to be a long-distance runner, you don't just run one day a week, right? You don't just run on, for lack of a better term, you don't just run on Easter and Christmas and then go run a marathon and think, hey, I'm going to set a world's record today. Now, if your goal is to be the best, then you train yourself, you discipline yourself so that you are training every single day. It is a consistent program that you work through. And it's not just the physical act that you do, it's your diet that you partake in. It's, it's what you do in your times of resting and your stretching. It is something that consumes your entire life, but it's consistent. You don't just train one day a week. So let me give you this idea. If an athlete wants to be the best he can be, he doesn't train one day a week. So let me give us a challenge here. We shouldn't be training for spiritual discipline one day a week for an hour or maybe two hours on a Sunday and expect life to turn out as it's going to be. Listen, fathers, you cannot consistently train your sons and your daughters by bringing them to church for an hour or two hours on a Sunday morning and then living like it doesn't matter the rest of the week. You have to be consistent. You have to be constant. If we want to stand up here and act like worship is important then they have to see that worship is not just what we do on a Sunday morning. It is a lifestyle that we live out each and every moment of our lives. We have to be consistent in that. If we want them to value the Bible and live by the authority of God's Word, then we don't just carry it with us on Sunday morning. We get into it every single day of the week. We live consistently. Why? Because we are disciplined and we are trained to do that. And if we're going to want them to do that, we have to be consistent in doing that as well. If you want them to respect authority... It means that you are a consistent authority in your life. So let's put this in terms of a father disciplining their kid. It doesn't mean you only discipline your kid when you are angry or when you are tired, but you are constantly disciplining them. You are constant and consistent in your punishments for them, but also your instruction of them. This is what the difference is between discipline and punishment. If you discipline consistently and constantly, then you don't punish except when it's absolutely necessary. You see, we so often jump to the punishment instead to the discipline. We jump to the result instead of the let's teach them and train them. And in some, in lack of better terms, we jump to the paddling after the fact rather than teaching them from the start of what the standard 
is. But we've got to be consistent in doing that. That's why he uses this word of discipline over and over and over. We cannot do it one hour or two hours a day during a week and expect it to make any difference. That's not love because it's not consistent discipline. But God does punish and He does discipline. And He tells us in verse 6, the reason He does both of these is because He loves us. That He wants what's best for us. And, and, and so He wants to train and discipline us as children in this consistent manner. And so if you have children, part of your training and discipline is that you, you have to say no to things. And part of your training and discipline is that you teach them what is good and what is not good. You teach them not to put things in the light sockets or the, the power socket. You teach them not to do that. Right? And then when they don't listen to it and you see them headed towards that outlet with the, whatever it is that they're going to stick in there just because that's what kids do. And I don't know why kids do it, but it's just what they do. When you see them headed to it, you don't just sit back and be like, all right, but you won't make that mistake again. No, none of us would do that. You know what we do? We step in and we intervene. Now, we don't intervene in everything, and I'm not saying we, we helicopter our kids and we stop them from making every mistake, but when they're young and they're impressionable, we do things to, to stop them from potentially harming themselves, right? We, we put up baby gates at the top of stairs. Why? Because a kid who's just learning to walk doesn't realize that the stairs go down and they don't have the coordination to do that. You know what they know? I'm going this way and I don't care what happens to me. Right? That's us. And I imagine there's so many times that God, our Heavenly Father, looks down at us and be like, man, I'm so glad I put that baby gate in your way. And yet you're so frustrated and you're so mad at that baby gate's there, but you don't see the steps that are on the other side. You see, for us as parents, we have to constantly discipline our kids and train our kids. And it means that we put up gates, we put up fences sometimes that are not easy and it's not convenient for them and it's not convenient for us. I don't know how many times I personally have tripped over a baby gate trying to go down the stairs myself. They're not convenient for us, but we do it for the sake of our children because that's the consistency and the safety that our kids need because we love them. It means also that, that we don't allow our kids to pick out what they want to eat all the time. Think about what your kids would look like and how their life would be if you just let them pick their, their diet every single day. This candy that would be down here on the front, which by the way, this sermon is getting shorter and shorter the more I look at this candy, just so we're clear. Maybe a good thing for some of you guys, but... If we just constantly let our kids choose what they want to eat all the time, imagine it'd be like Elf. They would have like spaghetti noodles and syrup and sprinkles all the time. But we as parents, we know that's not what's best for them. And so we make them eat things that they may not care so much for, but it's what's good for them. Why? Because it's what's best for them. Why? Because we love them. We discipline and we train and we teach and even we punish out of love. And so we do this because this is what it means to discipline them, because we love them. And then he goes on in verse 7, and he builds on this idea that, that not only does he discipline us and train us and punish us because he loves us, but he does it because we're in a relationship with him. He goes on in verse 7, he says, Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what, a, or for what son is there that a father does not discipline. See, every one of us who are sons or daughters, we've been disciplined by our parents. And our parents did that for us and to us because they loved us. Right? And God, our Heavenly Father, does it 
to us and for us because He loves us. And then He connects it to the fact that He does it because we're in this relationship with Him. The reason that He disciplines us and corrects us is because we are His children, because we are His sons and His daughters, because He disciplines us and corrects us. There's this evidence that we are His and we belong to Him. You see, you don't discipline kids that are not your own. Right? I'll share a quick story with you. And I didn't ask permission to share this story uh, with the, the family is actually in the room, so hopefully they won't mind. But a couple years ago, um, we were in this exact same room, and, and I had just, my son Malachi had this bad habit of just running and jumping on my back, right? And, and that's fine most of the time. I don't mind him doing that when I know it's coming, all right? But when you're standing face-to-face talking to somebody and you don't know it's coming, and all of a sudden they run and they just jump and pounce on your back and you're not ready for it, it could be a recipe for disaster. So I've talked to my son several times. I'm like, listen, buddy, I don't mind you jumping. I don't mind you climbing on me, but i got to be ready for it. Right? You've got to let me know you're coming. All right? and don't just jump on my back and expect me to catch you. And so there was one day we were standing here in church, and all of a sudden I was standing there talking to somebody, and all of a sudden I felt, whoop, boom, this kid just jump on my back. And it was just an instinct. And it may not should have been a right instinct, but it was just an instinct. I just reached back because I had instructed and the instructions were not followed. I just reached around and I just popped right on the back of his, on, on his, on his backside or on his leg. And then I looked around and realized that was not my kid. <laughs> and I had just disciplined someone else's kid, honestly, because I thought it was mine. All right, I wouldn't have popped somebody else's kid. And so I felt so bad. I went to the, the kid's mom and I apologized for it. And I said, I'm so sorry. I did not mean to abuse your kid or discipline your kid. Please don't fire me as your pastor. I don't normally beat other people's kids. But we don't discipline other people's kids. Our responsibility is to discipline our own kids. And I'm going to share with this to you. The older your kids get, the more you're going to have this conversation. I'm not in charge of so-and-so's kids. I'm in charge of you. And I discipline you and I correct you because you are my responsibility, not everybody else's kids, okay? Unless they jump on your back and you're having a conversation, then you can pop them, all right? But we do this because we have a certain relationship with us. And his discipline and his correction is evidence not just of the relationship, but it's also evident of the salvation that we have. And he goes on in verse 8 to connect this. And he says, but, you who are, but if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Illegitimate children were children that were not legally children. They were, they were conceived either through mistresses or slaves or handmaids or, or some other method, but they were not considered part of the family. And not being part of the family meant they had no inheritance to the family. They had no authority or part of the family. When the father died, they were just left. Right? And in fact, while the father was alive, they were just left out on their own. They had no legal authority. They had no inheritance and right to the inheritance. So I want you to listen to me. Sometimes there are Christians that we see who are out doing things that we know they should not be doing, and we have to kind of look back. And for some of us, there is accountability to that, but there's times when we say, hey, they're not my kid. They're God's kid. And some of us are quick to judge people based on what we see on the outside, but we don't honestly know the conviction that is going on on the inside. So here's what I want to get to you. That... If you see acts of people doing things, that may or may not be evidence of salvation. But what is evident of salvation is if you are doing things you know you shouldn't be, there should be conviction of the Holy Spirit. 
That God loves you enough that He wants to correct you. And He sends His Word. He sent His Word to us. He sends His Holy Spirit into our lives just for that reason. To convict us and correct us because He loves us. Because we are His children. So one of the greatest evidence of salvation is that someone has conviction. They cannot just sin and, and keep going without any remorse or with a clear conscience. And then if you can do that, if you can sin and know that you're sinning and not feel guilty for it, not feel any remorse, not feel that you should correct it in any way... That's when you begin to question someone's salvation. When someone claims an alternative lifestyle and they don't feel remorse for not living to God's standard, they don't feel that what they're doing is wrong, that's when you begin to question their salvation because God is not disciplining them. He is no longer training them. He is no longer punishing them or trying to bring them to the right path. Why? Because they're not His kids. They've walked away from that relationship. And it's not saying they can't be later on, but at that point in time, they are not. And I've got, man, I've spent all this time on the first two points. I'll make the last two points pretty quick, I promise on you. But the, the third point is simply this that we see in this passage that discipline is always done with a purpose and for a purpose. And I've got to share with you right quick that it is never done for the purpose of anger. It is never done to make the father feel better about himself. In fact, there's this purpose, and the purpose has to be focused on the outcome that we're trying to receive. And as we work through verses 9 through 11, there is this purpose of discipline, and it starts with kind of these series of steps or this goal of discipline. In verse 9, it says, Furthermore, we have natural fathers, or we had natural fathers discipline us, and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? And so, step one of the purpose is respect that leads to submission, right? And so, that's there's this goal. It's not because we're mad, it's not because we're tired, it's because there needs to be respect for authority. And that respect needs to lead to submission of that authority. And so, we don't respect or we don't discipline out of anger and we don't uh, uh, discipline. That constitutes abuse. In fact, if you read on in verse 10, it is never to constitute abuse or abusive behavior. In verse 10, for they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them. But he does it for our benefit so that we can share in his holiness. So a father doesn't discipline to gain respect and power. He disciplines from a place of respect and authority. And so he doesn't discipline for his own benefit. He does it for the benefit of a child. Right? And I honestly, I didn't understand that. When I was a child, and if you're a child, you may not understand that, because my mom and my dad used this phrase when I was a kid, and some of you probably use this phrase when you discipline, this is going to hurt me a whole lot worse than it hurts you. And when I was a kid, you know my response was? I didn't dare say it out loud. Let's switch places then, all right? I'll be glad to switch with you. I'll be glad to, to do the discipline, and you take it. If, if, if that hurts worse, let's try that out. I didn't dare say that because I knew that's not the right way to respond to discipline, either for mom or dad. But it tells us that Father's discipline, the Heavenly Father disciplines us not for His benefit, but for our benefit. And so step one is respect that is demonstrated uh, through submission. Step two it's found here at the end of verse 10. It, this submission leads to the sharing of His holiness. It, it begins to take on His characteristics that we become more like Him. And so what He's telling them is, listen, don't despise the hard times. Because in the hard times, we become more like Christ. So you see, in the easy times, we sometimes lose the picture of who Christ is. But in the hard times, we begin to trust Him more. In the hard times, uh, we begin to hear Him clearer. And C.S. Lewis once said that God yells to us in the difficult and the hard times. Or see, dads, don't discipline your sons or your daughters. Uh, they, they, they do discipline their sons or their daughters because they want them to be more like them. And so our struggles and our difficulties 
difficulties have a way of shaping us so we become more like Him. And so, dads, let me ask you this question. Are you disciplining and training your sons and your daughters so that they share in His holiness? Are you, are you disciplining them and training them and, and shaping them so that they take on His characteristics? Now, let me back up for a moment because to do that, what do they have to see? Consistent discipline in your life as well. They need to see a picture of the Heavenly Father lived throughout their earthly Father. And the same is true with moms. Are we living in these moments that we show our kids what holiness looks like? And so then verse 11 is this final step in the process. That no discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the fruit of peace and righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You see, discipline is never fun. It's not fun for the adults. It's not fun for the kids. For us to be disciplined by God, it is not fun. We don't enjoy it. Even in the sense of training, it is not fun. Your muscles are sore and aching when you do uh, those workouts and those runs. And, and it's sore and it's painful when you do those things. But there's results that comes after. And here he tells us the results is the fruit of peace and righteousness. This fruit that we stop rebelling. We stop fighting against him. Why? Because now we're holy and we're looking more like him. We're more concerned about him than anything else. And we're righteous means that we see sin the way he sees sin. We look at it from his eyes and we change our behavior. And so the, the results are uh, the right way to respond to discipline is found in verse 12 and 13. The wrong way is to say that God's discipline doesn't matter. We're not worried about it or it's to fight against him. But the right way to respond is here in verse 12 and 13. Verse 12 says, Therefore, strengthen your tired hands and weakened knees. In verse 13, Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but healed. One author summed these two verses up in a beautiful way, so I'm just going to borrow it from him. He says, The result of discipline should be to strengthen and to straighten. The strengthen means that we see kind of what we need to be trained on. We see what we need to build on. We, we, we strengthen and we train and we build up our faith. We build up our defenses against sin. And then when they heard this last part about being straightened, it means that we stay on the path. It means that we do exactly what he's told us to do earlier in this chapter. That we stay on the course that is fixed for us. That we keep our eyes on Jesus that's in front of us. For these early readers that read this, this letter, they would have immediately been reminded of Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 32. Uh, when Moses is giving the law to the people and he says, Be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. You are not to turn aside to the right or to the left. And they would have jumped from there to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 26 and 27. It says, Carefully consider the path of your feet, and all of your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your feet away from evil. You see, the right way to respond to discipline is to correct the path that you're on. The right way to respond to discipline in hard times is to build yourself up, strengthen your faith, so that when you face those difficult times, you stand solidly, not with dislocated joints. You stand firm, not with joints that are weak and, and not able to withstand the pressure. So you build up, you train, and you respond to discipline by building up and strengthening, but also by straightening the path and so you don't turn to the right or to the left. You see, when he tells us this, he gives us this beautiful picture of this Heavenly Father who loves you enough to forgive your sins, but also loves you enough not to let you continue in sin. He loves you enough to, to correct your course and get you on the course to heaven, but He loves you enough to make sure your path is straight. And He tells you, don't get off this path. Stay on this path. 
You see, the loving hand of God not just makes the path straight, but it keeps us on the path. And He puts these guardrails and these, these discipline and this punishment in the path sometime, or beside the path for, for our good to better us. And so we respond to His discipline because we correct the path that we're on. Let's pray together.